Imagine a mind virus has taken over people you love. You have fought the good fight, trying to save them, but now you feel tired and you feel like retreating. You and some old friends are desperate for a solution. Then one captain on board says he has a surprise. You open two vast hangar bay doors to discover bom, bom, a wonderful fantasy franchise lovingly restored with everything back as it should be, but better. How? Well, says the restorationist, you could thank the good old common grace of our creator for that. Also, I'm a lot like you, a huge fan of the original. Yes, many franchises these days are failing, so let's celebrate the few that do seek restoration. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. If they fail, we hope to restore them and we apply their meanings to the real world. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and co-author of The Pop Culture Parents. And I'm Zachary Russell, and we've talked before about the church back home syndrome. And I got to admit, I've got some symptoms of the franchise fandom back home. I have just become so sick of many franchises, but this is episode 161. How can we celebrate the restoration of failing franchises? Hey, Zach, may the fourth be with you. Beep, bop, beep, bop, may the fourth be with you. They all said I just broke out in sweats. Mindless clone (laughs) troopers. So what was your feeling then about this uh, glorious event uh, the almost overly ubiquitous uh, Star Wars fandom day this past May the 4th. Yeah, well, my daughter actually came to me later that day and she said, why aren't you wearing a Star Wars shirt on May the 4th, Star Wars Day? And my first response was, well, I, I wear Star Wars shirts all the time because any day can be Star Wars Day. But my actual feeling was, I kind of hate Star Wars right now, if I'm oh, being honest. Oh dear, you hate Star Well, that's to be expected when some of the people entrusted with the franchise, if they don't seem to hate the franchise, they certainly act as if they do. <laughs> so now is a good time, though, to strike and convert you uh, to the side of Federation humanism <laughs> instead of the light side of the Force, uh, because Star Trek now is, frankly, better. Uh, than Star Wars. Uh, there was a cast reunion, for example, in season three of Star Trek Picard. There was a thing that happened on that show, lots of things that happened in that season uh, that people now mourn did not happen in The Last Jedi or any of the other Disney Star Wars sequels. I actually saw a, a rather teasing image that showed in spoiler-heavy fashion uh, just exactly what happened in Picard that did not happen uh, in the Star Wars movies. So, Along with the fact that Star Trek has its own custom emoji, uh, the Spockly Long and Prosper sign, and Star Wars does not, I think it's a good time to say uh, and just go ahead and fire some phaser shots uh, that Star Trek is better than Star Wars. Mm. Fight me. Wow. You know, I think of that Weird Al Yankovic song, White and Nerdy. And he has this great line in there, and he's, I, I forget exactly how it rhymes, but he Only says, The question I, I ever thought was hard is, do I like Kirk or do I or like do Picard? I like Picard, yeah, yes. okay. The answer, by the way, is Picard. It's Picard, yes. But but really, the Still question like is, Kirk, do I like Captain Picard or do I like Captain Solo? You know, that that's really the, the question that I've always been a Captain Solo guy, even though I've been a diehard fan of Star Trek Next Gen my whole life. In fact, just to prove my bona fides, I would stay up late past my bedtime and and try to sneak in an extra episode of Star Trek and try not to get caught (laughs) while doing this when I was in middle school. But yes, I I do admit I have sort of laid aside that fandom 
I think it was because when Picard season one came out, I heard so much bad press. I thought, well, I guess they've ruined that one too. And I'll just kind of check out of that. Well. I think I gave you some of that bad press on this yep. very podcast. There were some elements of it that certainly honored uh, the past uh, next generation era and the character of Picard, uh, certainly some other characters from uh, affiliated Star Trek series. Uh, but yeah, season one did not end well. It ended in uh, transhumanism, basically trying to have its transhumanist cake and uh, eat its classic humanism as well. Uh, did not work well. The themes were simply discordant, along with some other uh, pessimistic, grim, dark elements that just seemed to p- be put in there just to generate outrage. But but I'm 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 jumping the gun here. Uh, we need to get to our first sponsor for this episode before we talk about restored fandoms, Picard, and maybe others. First, though, let's stop by our friends from Enclave Publishing, who have, as of today, this episode's release date, now released their new book, Radiant, from Ashley Bustamante. That is the Color Theory Series Book 2. Description as follows. Secrets come in every shade. After the introduction of yellow magic in a society accustomed to only red and blue magic, the world inside the barrier has become more complicated than anyone imagined. Ava, Elm, and the former students of Prism navigate life in hiding. They face discord, secrets, betrayal, and danger that looms ever closer as the benefactors narrow in on their hideaway. Ava is determined to keep everyone protected, even at the cost of her own safety. She explores dangerous aspects of her new mentalist abilities against Elm's dire warnings. Tensions escalate when a new visitor arrives, claiming to know a way out of the barrier. While this may be the only way to escape the benefactors, what awaits them on the outside? Will they gain allies or make an entirely new set of enemies? That is Radiant from Ashley Bustamante, book two of the Color Theory series from Enclave Publishing, and the audiobook is available from Oasis Audio. Get all the links in our show notes for episode 161, or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. So we got red and blue and the sudden introduction of yellow. Uh, Zach, what about the sudden introduction of purple, as in a certain purple lightsaber that messed with the uh, original classic Star Wars trilogy color scheme? How do we feel about Samuel L. Jackson, Mace Windu's purple lightsaber (laughs) well you know i actually thought that was fine i the the more jarring thing to me was and and just please forgive me listeners but i've seen so many samuel jackson movies where he uses quite a bit of profanity that for him to not use that was almost jarring i shouldn't feel and this is a christian show zach is expressing disappointment at the lack (laughs) of of the bleeping bleepers coming out of samuel l jackson's face just cognitive dissonance cognitive dissonance there you go so there's a concession stand we may end up saying some bad (laughs) things like that uh yeah pass around the snack zach let's get to these before we get to our (laughs) renewed optimism for at least one restored franchise uh we at Lorehaven try to focus on Christian-made stuff, so I always feel like I want to disclaim like the Dickens when we're focusing on the secular stuff. But hey, we still like these fandoms too. We're not going to draw a firm boundary between all of them, uh, especially if it's a good story that one way or another reflects common grace even by non-Christian creators, and that includes Star Trek Picard and even some Star Wars that's left and is still good. Uh, we are starting, however, at lorehaven.com, a new section called On Screen where we're going to put all of those uh, movie reviews, you know, cautions or praises about TV shows that fit in fantastical genres. Uh, any of that stuff, uh, past, present, and future, will be grouped under on screen. So you'll be able to find more of that at Lorehaven, including uh, this episode as well. By the way, I am going to try to avoid spoilers in Picard Season 3. Zach has said, hey, throw open the floodgates. Spoilers are A-OK with him. Uh, but I am going to be more spiritual than that. Uh, and even for your own sake, listeners, like if you're going to, especially if you're a next-gen fan, 
uh, enjoy Star Trek, uh, you want to shield yourself from as many spoilers as you can. So stay off the Twitter. Uh, they were real careful about spoilers when the episodes are coming out, but now season three is complete at Paramount Plus. Uh, so you'll want to protect yourselves from those. We are more optimistic about this episode. Uh, and that's because uh, we're optimistic about future restoration as a spiritual reality. Uh, I think when we use that word, uh, it's loaded in with all kinds of biblical meanings. Our great Redeemer, Jesus Christ, promises to restore not only the human souls of those who repent and believe in him, uh, but all the creation itself uh, that the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 promises will be set free from its bondage to decay. So we live in hope of restoration, repentance, redemption, all those re-words is a deeply, deeply biblical concept, but we're not going to over-realize the eschatology uh, to use some highfalutin language there. Uh, we do not yet live in that restored world. So many glimpses we have of restoration in stories that had failed are temporary. Uh, I want to temper my own expectations uh, because this could be a blip uh, right now in the map of uh, fantasy franchises going down. Uh, one may still survive and fly, uh, but then maybe other limitations, ideological or financial, come along and go, nah, we can't make a sequel to that. Uh, we can't going like uh, we can't keep going like that. Uh, doesn't really matter what the fans say. The numbers show otherwise. So uh, I'm going to temper my expectations for that reason. It just means, though, that a good uh, story will stand out, Zach, because we have had episodes before about the fantasy franchises that have gave fans grief in 2022. We'll touch on a few updates, though, uh, just now. Uh, to kind of get that negativity out of our system. But we've also had an episode about deconstructionism, uh, this notion uh, that many stories are trying to, for some reason, tear their own foundations out, uh, even while the original cast members are a standing there. Uh, it's a ridiculously self-destructive notion, but it kind of fits with just how popular culture is going right now. Uh, this episode, though, is a more positive sequel to these episodes. So they may never make a sequel series to Star Trek Picard, uh, which was awesome. Uh, but we are going to make a positive sequel uh, to the deconstructionism and uh, fantasy franchise grief episodes, uh, starting uh, with chapter one here. You got any other uh, concessions there, Zach, before we head forward? Yeah, you know, I would say, and you you can decide how you want to do this on the show today, but it's not just that I'm okay with spoilers. I think I actually need spoilers. Because oh, I see. Okay. I, uh, I feel like Charlie Brown, who who keeps walking up to the football, and Lucy's like, uh, you know, I'll hold it for you. You can kick it, and you know, every time she pulls it away, right? I, I feel like I've I've had that experience quite a bit with quite a few shows in the last five to ten years, and you know, even before this, um, you had the problem of you'd get into a show and then they'd cancel it after season one or season two, um, or there'd be other major disruptions like the writer strike, for example, that's happening right now, and we'll talk about later. But man, I, I'm just so jaded, Stephen, that I, I need more than just a mere promise okay. that like a show will be better. So maybe what you can do is you, you can find a moment to give a spoiler and then just keep it under 30 seconds and our listeners can just hit the skip 30 second button if they don't want to hear it. Okay, that's a good idea. And not only that, but I can give a spoiler from maybe the first half of season three uh, because the show does win you over in the first episode, just the first but by episodes two and three, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, even though it's been updated, obviously, uh, you know, some grittier elements and still the continuity inherited from seasons one through two. Uh, season three commits to being a restoration very, very early. So I can give some spoilers from those, and yet it still preserves some of the surprises uh, by the end of episode 10. 
um, or really by the end of episode nine, where there is a there's a major reveal uh, that just makes makes the series not just great but outstanding. So uh, I feel like I'm shilling here, but hey, that's what happens when you get a good one come along like this. Okay, but let's not uh, get to the good news too quickly. Uh, Zach, I thought we may as well just touch real quick on uh, the six fantasy franchises that gave fans grief in 2022. Has there been any improvement? Uh, chapter one, first, the bad news. I uh, know many of these guys are still failing. So let's go to Star Wars real quick up first. Uh, we already talked about the Mandalorian uh, <laughs> that uh, has been happening. Uh, a lot of people didn't like season three. You didn't even want to see season three, right? You, you just don't care. I don't see the point of it, and I and I didn't see it from the trailer. So season two ends, and if you haven't seen season two, skip 30 seconds. Season two ends with the Mandalorian um, delivering Baby Yoda to Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and so it's like, okay, mission accomplished, and maybe he'll have new missions. Uh, those could be fun. Whatever those are, I'm willing to hang in there and see what happens yeah, next. Yeah, well, while well, I'll wait for but Grogu then, to come back at the end of season three and whatever happened. That's what I was prepared for. We were right. going to go and off then, on an adventure with Cara Dune. <laughs> yeah, right. and then, right, well, yeah. And then the season three trailer shows the Mandalorian holding Baby Yoda again, and they're going on a new adventure. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wasn't he supposed to be with Luke? And what happened there? And You should have done your Star Wars homework. Well, maybe. you should watch Boba Fett because we well, made it. I am Disney. Yeah. Resistance is futile. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I, I immediately I'm like, why are we retreading the same ground? Uh, and then, yeah, there's all the weirdness with Boba Fett. I, I started that and, and couldn't finish it. And so uh, I, I think there's oh, sort so of. You never saw the, the Mandalorian way. season 2.25. Well, I did see where he gets the dark saber. Okay. Okay. I I saw as far as that, and then, uh, yeah. I I don't know. I I think they. Um, I mean, it it's yeah. You mentioned Cara Dune, so it's no secret Disney's gone through a lot of shakeup, uh, both with talent and with leadership. Um, and you know, and they're just bleeding people, and they're in political fights, and so, uh, I I don't know how much that is actually affecting the Lucasfilm or whatever the Star Wars arm. Oh, I have no doubt that it is, but I'm sure it is to some extent. Podcast, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's at least one YouTuber whose clip I see all the time who says, "Don't ask questions, just consume product, then get excited for next product." (laughs) Right, exactly. You're breaking the rules here. Yeah, and well, and there's there's a good critique of all of this that doesn't even come from the place of what we say, which is that maybe there's just too much Star Wars stuff. Period. You know, absolutely. Yeah. So not only are there all the shows, there are all of the theme parks. There are all of the spinoffs. I mean, Star Wars has always been more than just a movie. It, it was the merchandise, right? And uh, I, I read something recently that George Lucas took half the money he could have gotten from the first movie by negotiating for the rights of the merchandise. And he ended up with billions of dollars. So like, I think he made the right play there. Uh, well, and also he retained the rights to the sequels instead of just selling the entire franchise right away. Um, but you know, the, the Babylon B to the rescue for, you know, expressing how I really feel about this, the article from May the 4th, uh, star Wars day, 2023 was dad sits down son to have the talk about the star Wars sequel trilogy. (laughs) 
And uh, he said, a local father determined the time had come to sit his young son down and officially have the talk about the Star Wars sequel trilogy. The man reportedly knew he couldn't avoid it any longer once the boy began to talk about how great The Last Jedi was. <laughs> so, you know, they're just talking about the movies that came out a few years ago. And, uh, oh, it, it's just great. You know, later, uh, the son was playing with his Rose Tico action figure when his father entered the room to start the difficult but important conversation. <laughs> So this wasn't the fun, the talk of, uh, Hey, son, no. uh, here's how babies are made. Uh, this is the talk of, Hey son, uh, there's some prejudiced authorities out there. Yeah. Uh, and they may think you look different and pull you over for no good reason. <laughs> that got, that yeah, got it, a little it, dark right there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's sort of, yes. Uh, riffing off that. I can't remember if this was an article or just something one of my other friends said, which was, I'm not going to let my, well, so this was years ago, but it was, I'm not going to let my kids watch Phantom Menace until they're old enough to know how terrible it is. Um, yeah, I, I've heard some thing. kids who have uh, seen Phantom Menace, and uh, you know, I don't want to uh, take their joy from them, uh, but clearly uh, they were exposed to this at a premature age uh, when their uh, wisdom faculties were not developed enough to understand it. But I mean, at the same time, yeah, I don't want to you know, dismiss anyone who yeah. didn't like the sequel trilogy or did like the sequel trilogy. It's just, for me, I, I just got kind of totally indifferent to it. Uh, and yeah. really, that, that's why I call it the Mandalorian, because uh, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it just suddenly seemed kind of meh. Um, the, the magic was gone uh, from, the, from the first season. Uh, obviously, the firing of Cara Dune and just this, uh, this flexing of the mouse's big old corporate muscle uh, really soured uh, right. my fandom for the whole thing. And I've got a talking Mandalorian right on my desk, and occasionally I'll, I'll press the button on his Beskar and see if he has any uh, wisdom to share. I want my next job, he says, or I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold, he says. Uh, I still like the guy, um, yeah. but the less the show is about him, the less I really care about the show. So anyway, Mandalorian season three did not do nearly as well as that other star franchise season three. Uh, Disney, too, also just not doing awesomely. Did you all know that there was a Peter Pan remake uh, put out over Disney nope. Plus over the weekend? Well, uh, over the week or so, yeah. I was just watching a, a video takedown of that not long ago. David Lowry, who is the director of uh, Pete's Dragon, uh, he apparently likes Disney remakes uh, about uh, chaps named Pete. Pete's Dragon was good. Uh, he did his own thing with it. Uh, basically, there's an orphan boy and a magical dragon who turns invisible and lives in the woods, and that's about the only similarity with the animated movie. I didn't care much for the animated movie. I was perfectly fine with David Lowry's version, which was almost Narnian uh, in its love for the dragon and its respect for uh, family. And it didn't like throw the big battle logger guys under the bus as, as terrible environmentalists. Like there was a great little redemption story in there between brothers. All that to say, what happened, dude? Uh, apparently didn't have any happy thoughts while making the Peter Pan remake because that thing just flounders. Uh, the, based on the clips I've seen, uh, it just turns into a complete feminist screed. Literally at one point, Wendy's flying over the pirate ship and Captain Hook says she has the boy's powers. And she literally says, I'm not making this up. These powers belong to no boy. I'm not making this up. He actually says that. And I, I got to just roast that here. That is just so cringe. Uh, I mean, that has nothing to do with the original Peter Pan play, uh, but it also just has nothing to do with the original Disney cartoon. So, and they're just putting this stuff on the Disney plus because there's sort of this uh, creative Keynesian approach to content. You just need to print content. Uh, it's a financial incentive through power alone. Uh, and then that will make your streaming service a success. Uh, again, it's like the whole Star Wars thing. You just see the corporate machinery out in the open, and it's unsightly. Uh, same kind of stuff going on with uh, Marvel. Did y'all know there's a new Marvel movie out uh, over the weekend? Nope. Uh, Guardians Volume 3. Um, 
it'll probably do okay, but that's just the point. It's volume three in a big franchise. It should have been better. Uh, should have been doing better. Uh, Mar- uh, Guardians director James Gunn isn't generating a whole lot of hype either for his promised DC reboot. I see a lot of the hype of that really just seems to be kind of fanboys, people pursuing trends, a little artificial. Uh, people are just projecting their own wishes uh, onto it. It's a cipher. Uh, it's like a bad character in a YA novel that has no personality. Just project yourself in there, a gentle reader, uh, and don't worry about it. Uh, Disney, we already covered that. Oh, man, uh, as you hear that uh, the writer strike has affected uh, the filming of the reason uh, Rings of Power Season 2. Apparently, they were going to finish filming Season 2 without the showrunners on set because something went wrong. Maybe there's no further uh, rights allowed in the script. I don't know. Um, but of course, uh, really not a whole lot of progress there after the thud that was uh, Rings of Power Season 1 overall. Uh, Harry Potter's, I guess they sort of froze out uh, the Newt's Commander series, Fantastic Beasts, and they're going to go back to the uh, Professor Snape's drawing board, dabble in the dark arts, and make a remake uh, before oh, all but a few of the cast members are dead of the original movies. Why? I mean, financially, it makes sense. Uh, and I'm glad that they're uh, not throwing J.K. Rowling under the bus, but that's the soft bigotry of low expectations. Why do we need a remake so quickly? Can you think of anyone playing Harry Potter than Daniel Radcliffe or anyone playing Dumbledore uh, other than the two guys who played Dumbledore uh, or, of course, Alan Rickman as Snape? Like any of those cast members, why? Why remake it? Uh, just kind of speaks to desperation. Uh, Doctor Who, David Tennant's back. It's kind of bait, though. Obviously, they're going to gay up Doctor Who. Uh, the less said about that, the better. And then, Zach, you mentioned the writer's strike. Uh, the WGA led writers strike uh, it may be over by the time you listen to this but the fact is that a lot of people who write these shows uh, even though people may roast them as being terrible especially if we're talking about late night comedy and such like uh, but a lot of the good writers are also on strike uh, just out of principle if nothing else uh, writers are underpaid and not respected well uh, in Hollywood and so it actually is kind of a delight to see Picard season 3 they put the writers right up front uh, for this season uh, uh, director Zack Snyder, uh, former, maybe returning, I would like him to return, uh, DC movie director. Uh, they put writer Chris Terrio of Batman v Superman and Justice League right on stage with everybody else uh, for a big uh, Justice League watch party last week. Uh, guy seemed a little nervous, uh, but he was glad to be there and just get the respect that they deserve. So, hey, we're all about uh, not writing, but writers on this podcast. So the more recognition, the better. I just can't really speak to whether or not they need more money or benefits or how that stuff works. What have you heard about that, Zach? Well, I'm not following the particulars of the strike and what they're striking about. I'm just thinking on a little bit higher level whether this is a good or a bad thing. And I think it's a little bit of both. So I think it's a good thing in that maybe there will be some time for a lot of these writers to have clearer thoughts and better influences than what they have been infusing into a lot of stories. So, Oh, you mean the artificial religion uh, that boosts their sense of morality and confidence? You just, just jab it in there. Don't worry about what's in it. Uh, Everybody says it's healthy. So, you know, there, there is a, um, well, I'll just touch on this briefly, but there's a massive boycott happening right now of Bud Light because of their marketing decisions and certain identity things that they're promoting. And it, it, it's shaping up to be the, biggest boycott in history from what I've read. Uh, Just tons of tons of money that Anheuser-Busch has lost because of that. And so I think that that kind of thing may 
trickle down to other industries and maybe pull back some of the crazy that we've been seeing in culture recently. At least I hope so. Again, going back to what you said at the beginning of this episode, hey, we believe in future restoration. We believe that God is working in the world, okay? So just give him time and maybe the writer's strike will give God time. I mean, this may sound really stupid, but I legitimately pray for some of these Hollywood writers, not necessarily by name, but maybe by show or by franchise or by genre. Uh, we've talked on this podcast twice before about the Wheel of Time, my all-time favorite fantasy fandom, and how just disappointed I was with season one of the uh, TV adaptation. I I tried really hard to like it, and I, I always found things I liked about each episode that I blogged about, but I have not been optimistic about where they're going with it. Um, and so honestly, when I saw the showrunner uh, say, well, there's a writer's strike, so no new updates now, I was kind of like that meme where the guy's like, oh no, anyway, <laughs> it's kind of how I felt. I'm like, you know what? Just let it stay in shale ghoul, but beneath the the seals that were put there by the hundred companions, because it probably needs some some time uh, to to improve. But I'll tell you where this could end up really, really bad. Okay, uh, b- because you're. I agree with your earlier point, Stephen, that you know there is a giant machine. <laughs> Uh, that is churning through writers. Uh, and so I absolutely have sympathy for people that are getting churned by this. This is the part where Zach talks about AI again, by oh, the yes. way, folks. You oh, can yeah. just see it coming. <laughs> and that machine is about to get a gigantic upgrade called a language learning model, which maybe it's already using, but even if it's not, it would be so, so very easy for a Hollywood producer to just just push the button. And there's a thought experiment that a guy named John Stokes did. He wrote this incredible article about Spider-Verse 2025 streaming 24-7, no reruns forever. They'll start <laughs> so with he, the children's programming, of course. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he starts by talking about, have you watched YouTube Kids lately? Because it's really weird. It's very low bar, dumb, like very low effort entertainment with 20 million views, like, for these videos about just like random Spider-Man things that kids watch for two hours at a time. So his, his thought experiment is, well, what if Disney adopted a chat GPT mid journey thing that could generate screenplays that could generate characters that could put voices to them, animate them. Uh, and then it could evaluate how successfully people are tuning in, engaging with it. Um, and then just run this for a whole year just automated content uh, because for a young enough demographic, they're not going to care. They're not going to care about how, I mean, cause have you gone back and watched the cartoons you watched as a kid and you're like, really, this is what I watched when I was eight or nine. Uh, I thought that was pretty awesome at the time. And now I'm embarrassed by it, but you know, for, for a young enough kid, uh, there's not a whole lot of expectations and this would be a really easy way for Disney to get into the uh, the AI generated content because of the writer's strike. Uh, so I, I see that as a terrible thing that could happen. Uh, yeah. So hopefully it doesn't, but well, I, I don't see why it wouldn't. <laughs> historically, when humans go on strike, it's a great excuse uh, for the salesmen or the engineers or whomever has made a machine to replace 
uh, your baggage checker or your bank clerk or whomever. Uh, they just whisk right on in and install that. Uh, and most of us just go along with it. And that may happen here as well, uh, which does lead to some scary territory and a future podcast topic for sure. Uh, because as I recall, uh, there were story and culture making machines of a sort in Huxley's Brave New World. I think mm. there was a little bit of human involvement there. Uh, but, you know, there would have been no way for Huxley uh, to understand the whole idea of, you know, computers and algorithms and uh, artificial intelligence and such. Uh, but the whole the, the basic concept was machine generated culture, uh, the lack of humanity there, uh, people not getting their hands dirty, making babies, making families uh, or even making stories and music. Uh, they're just uh, sitting around fulfilling their uh, artificially imposed uh, caste system. I really don't want that to go in this direction now. Uh, so I think, yes, uh, gentle, faithful listener, support ethically sourced stories. And uh, whether or not you think they should get a better dental plan, uh, I think we can at least uh, generally support uh, higher wages and more recognition for writers, even in big, bad, old, woke Hollywood, because there are some good writers there. Uh, and even folks who don't believe in Jesus can turn out uh, quite a whippersnapper of a story uh, like the one we're about to discuss. Another writer's turned out an awesome story is uh, Herman P. Hunter, our second sponsor for this episode. Uh, he has crafted a fantasy novel called The Wizard's Stone. A young apprentice is sent on a perilous mission. To protect him, a band of mercenaries is hired and paid a fortune in gold. Their mission? To travel over sea and land to deliver a secret artifact to a king halfway across the world. A stone wrapped, sealed, and warded with protective magic runes. And from the outset, they are hunted. By day, they are hounded by the followers of a dark and secretive sect. By night, an ancient evil stalks them in the darkness. Herman P. Hunter, author of The Revenant and the Tomb, presents The Wizard's Stone. It is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple, Kobo, Smashwords, Google Play, and Spotify, among others. Go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors or see the show notes for episode 161. Zach, I actually got to interact with some of the Picard writers. I uh, can't remember all their names right now, uh, but a lot of those folks were on Twitter classing up the joint. I think I've said that before. Uh, really genuine, honest, sincere folks who grew up loving Star Trek. Uh, actually, I will say one, one writer, uh, Cindy Apple, her name was. I think it was actually her dad who was a mathematician for NASA or something like that. Uh, so she's got space travel literally in her family history and grew up loving original Star Trek. And so it's folks committed to the series who are now recruited to do it. And maybe they've been recruited to do the show before, but maybe we're under uh, different series Bible constraints. But let's open chapter two of this discussion, how Star Trek Picard does restoration at warp speed. So we've heard the bad news about all the fandoms that people complain about, sometimes rightfully so, and sometimes they like complaining too much. We don't have a whole podcast complaining about them. We just cite the complaints, acknowledge them, uh, and then move on because otherwise it gets really awkward. But we'd rather talk about the stories we'd love. One of those is Star Trek Picard Season 3. I loved it so much. Uh, I wrote a news article for Lorehaven real quick. Star Trek Picard resists alien assimilation to boldly celebrate heroes and family. We'll have that linked. Uh, my friend Jeffrey Ryder has been on the podcast before talking about Dracula, actually. Uh, he is a big Star Trek fan. Uh, we've co-authored some Star Trek-related articles at Christ and Pop Culture in the past. He wrote an article last week called, I've Never Been So Happy to See So Many Wrinkles, How Star Trek Picard Aged Gracefully. 
course, he had to do the Crescent Pop Culture colon in the title there. But I love this article. Uh, this is a fantastic piece, and I'll link that one in the show notes too. Uh, it's a long one, good biblical foundations there, uh, kind of comparing how Picard's season three is different from and yet uh, builds upon uh, the seasons one through two of Picard, which just aren't that good. I didn't even see season two. And by the way, you don't have to see season one or season two to see season three. It hews to the continuity because it's Star Trek in technicality. It has to, but you can literally start with season three, episode one. Don't bother about going back to catch up. You may as well have picked up right after uh, the 2002 movie, Star Trek Nemesis ended. All you need to know is a few things that I mentioned in this article. Uh, Data's dead. Picard's a robot now. Uh, Picard and Troy are still married, but they're grieving the loss of a child. Uh, and there's still threats to the Federation. I think that's it. That's it. You're good. Uh, the characters in season three under the, uh, captaincy of Terry Metalis, the showrunner, uh, they're back to normal. They're flawed yet matured, but both, uh, best of all, they are respected. Uh, Picard has apparently gotten through his miserable old man uh, phase in season one on uh, season two, apparently had to do some time traveling back to his childhood and some sappy stuff like that, that maybe better Trek could have done better. A lot of people just felt it, it didn't do well, uh, in season two. They also saved a lot on the budget by, of course. Uh, going back to the uh, early 21st century, it just so happens to be the present day. Uh, I think expectations are a little higher uh, for a prestige streaming series now, especially science fiction. Uh, the plot gives nods uh, to disputative stories in seasons one through two. Yeah, Picard's still a robot because transhumanism, uh, but also resolves a lot of other plot lines. Like even literally going back to, I will tell you this, Zach, a character shows up from the penultimate uh, uh, episode of season seven of the next generation, a storyline with a side character uh, who was uh, kind of forgotten, uh, especially during the movies. Um, I will just say it's a certain uh, resident of the planet Bajor uh, who comes back and not just back for fan service, uh, but comes back for resolution to that story that fits perfectly into the themes and plot and character growths, multiple intertwining character growths of season three. Uh, this is not, I guess, what people are calling now a member berry, where you're just uh, tossing out some prize uh, to someone for showing up and paying attention and being a fan. Uh, the story is an organic life form that did need references like these uh, and then uses them to its own benefit. Uh, the world is fully continuous with every other Star Trek series, not just the next generation. Uh, but even Enterprise, the Ofta prequel, uh, malign prequel series in the oh, 2000s. Oh, I liked Enterprise. Yeah, Enterprise. I mean, I they, can they, sing the song. They sexed it up. It? Don't sing the song. It's under contract. <laughs> and yeah, everybody hates, everybody loves to hate the song. Uh, it's been a long road, uh, but everyone yeah, has not learned more, to hate the song. faith. Not faith of the, of the heart, even. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, I still like the Dennis McCarthy theme better for that series. <laughs> uh, longtime Star Trek composer should have gotten more respect. He should have written the theme for it like he did for um, DS9. Yeah, uh, Enterprise gets some shouts, uh, shout outs, uh, it's, it, but it, it makes sense. And uh, Terry Metalis, the showrunner, has defended these decisions because a lot of people are whining. Ah, it's just a bunch of nostalgia bait. You're just throwing it in there uh, just to uh, you know, uh, be way too patronizing to the fans. And so what? And well, so, okay, so, so what I, if they I, were? So what I want to focus on that, but it's right? not even that. Go ahead, yeah. but it's not even oh, that. Oh, I, I just, I love it when critics say, "Oh, it's just fan service. Oh, you should make something that hates the fans because that's what real art is. You, you provoke the fans." Well, that's I mean, the deconstruction <laughs> impulse. There, yeah, exactly. uh, apparently, somebody grew to associate bad things with mom's apple pie. 
And so if someone gives the mom's apple pie now, they'll just throw the pie right back in their face. What a great way to human. Yeah. Okay. I, I got to go back to something you said at the beginning of, of just the setup of season three. Did you say that Picard and Troy are married? No, Riker and Troy. Well, Riker, Riker and Troy. Troy. Okay. Yeah, no, I if I on. say Picard, oh golly, no, that would be an issue. Uh, and we need to just uh, retcon that. No, I always okay. said you know, Jedi mind trick from the other universe. Because that because they got I married. I said at the Riker end of, and Troy got married at the end, uh, beginning of beginning Nemesis. Of Nemesis yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's interesting to think about that for a minute, though, because there was that episode of Next Generation where Worf goes into these alternate timelines and he's married to Troy in one yeah. of them. No, that never happens. So that uh, never happens. Not okay. sure what anybody was thinking there, but no, no. Worf <laughs> Worf got another. Uh, 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 prime cast uh, wife uh, on on DS Nine as fans okay. know. Um, so as far as we know, uh, he is still a single, uh, very much Klingon sensei. By the way, Worf gets mega respect uh, in this series. When Worf shows up, you know he's going to kick alien butt, and things are going to be okay. Okay, uh, so he yeah. he actually gets. He gets to beat up people rather than getting beat up by the whatever. Oh yes, exactly. <laughs> like, have you seen that? Uh, Not only that, but he a gets supercut of that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what happens when you have writers who every single one wants to show how serious the threat is. So you take yeah. out the big guy. But if everybody takes out the big guy, then the big guy's not ever big. Uh, Superman has also been abused similarly yeah. by some cheap shot writing. No, Worf gets respect. Uh, Worf gets comedy at the same time, but none of the comedy, by the way, Zach, ever steps on the drama. Uh, the stakes are high. Like I was shocked by how invested I got simply because the story does not lampshade itself. The closest it gets uh, to, for example, a more suspicious captain who is kind of mocking Picard and Riker for uh, bending the rules and having all their space adventures and getting famous. That's the closest it gets, but it works on two levels. Then it's not just a call out to the audience uh, from the writer saying, Hey, I know it's unrealistic for these guys to be the heroes and to escape uh, all of their dangerous adventures. Yeah, you could think about it that way, but it's the other captain who's feeling this way in the world and his role and his path toward some kind of redemption is a big part of the mm. story. That's Captain Shaw, by the way, a, a newcomer to the franchise and oh, okay. uh, an immediate fan favorite uh, from his uh, very first appearance in the, in the first episode. Okay, so here here's a question I have, and you you can tell read or listeners whether to skip your answer if it's a spoiler. Okay, but one of the things that's held me back from watching this is, and, and this is going to sound odd, but I have been worried that Picard is just going to be about the Borg, uh, because that would be an easy trope to employ. Now I love the Borg; I think it's one of the best things that happened to Star Trek. Uh, it's very cyberpunk and i i love all of that but we saw this happen with the force awakens where they're like well what did fans love from the original star wars they loved a death star so let's just make a bigger one and blow it up again and so that that's what i've been worried they're going to do with picard is just oh let's just bring back the big bad and make them badder and bigger and then blow them up again so is that what happens um if you count being bigger and badder, the threat of this season uh, is a more developed version of a classic foe that fits so organically, I keep using that word, with the themes of this series, which is the wisdom uh, and maturity of the older generation uh, being channeled in healthier directions to help train 
grow up, parent, and even at times save and preserve the lives of the next generation. And that's uh, interesting. The th- oh, it's, it's such a huge theme there. Uh, it is literally a parents and children story. Uh, it is a show that celebrates, yes, the found family you get on board a starship. But from the very first episodes, they are literally challenging in a good way, not a deconstructive way. They're challenging this idea of Star Trek uh, going all the way back to the first episode of The Next Generation, 1987. Like, why does Picard want to pilot a starship uh, and doesn't want children? Well, how does that affect him later in life? What kind of regrets does that lead to? What happens when someone shows up? And what happens then when you have a, a certain kind of enemy uh, who now has a different idea of how to reproduce itself? An organic theme from original TNG uh, and then continuing through, I will say, first contact is indeed part of the story, but in a way that makes sense. It's not just a cheap shot. Oh, well, let's let's go for, you know, uh, who's going to recycle? This? Yeah, who, who's going to fight okay. Batman now? Oh, uh, I don't know. Why don't we get the Joker? Uh, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, classic choice. Uh, couldn't be anybody else. Well, and again, going back to Spider-Man, this is what they keep doing. Oh, let's just retell the story of how he Peter Parker yes. became No, this Spider-Man. is not a retold story. In fact, I think that kind of sidetracked the first two seasons of the show because Patrick Stewart didn't want to come back and just redo the same stuff. They didn't want to do just a cheap sentimentalist reunion uh, thing. Uh, that's why they got him. You know, it's basically the Picard show with cameos from the other cast members uh, and then a bunch of people who you, know, you don't really know and a lot of them just aren't as likable as the original cast. So, uh, season one just kind of dropped with a thud. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's, well, there's more than one villain though in this series. Um, there's, okay. uh, yeah, there's from, from the very first ep- episodes, um, there is a, a villain on board a ship, uh, actually a female villain portrayed by Amanda Plummer, uh, who is the daughter of Christopher Plummer, mm. uh, who is the Klingon villain of Star Trek six, uh, the undiscovered country. So, uh, a little call out there, a little, but but she's also just brilliant casting, and especially once you figure out her origin, perfectly looks the part. Uh, Amanda Plummer, uh, she plays a Vatic who has you know the latest giant scary uh, OP starship du jour that you know that emerges from the dark nebula and starts doing crazy things with the weapons. Um, but she's great, so it's not just one villain in this show. Uh, you kind of have three actually. Well, there's her, there's another group, and then there's another group. Yeah, it, it's definitely more complex, but I can't say enough, although I need to stop, about how much they commit to the theme. The theme of found family, the theme of fighting, not just for your own human autonomy or even Federation values. There's a moment in the finale where someone has to give the big battle speech. Um, the someone happens to be a female captain. And the crew is looking to her, asking them to, uh, asking her to inspire them, you know. And she does not say, fight for yourselves, fight for your future, or even fight for human progress or something real trekky. What she says is, fight for your children, fight for your families who are down there on that planet, fight for the future. That is such a based and Judeo Christian derived theme that it was just another one of many chilling moments, good chilling moments in this series. So there's, there's a spoiler there that really isn't a spoiler. Uh, just an idea that it does commit wholeheartedly to this theme. And that's what carries it. Not nostalgia, not clever plotting, good dialogue, uh, or complete uh, uh, ignorance of the idea of, of stepping on the, the sincere moments with dumb MCU-style humor. That, that just doesn't happen here. Well, you've got my attention, especially when you said that 
the older generation, you know, the, the, the characters from the next generation are there to help train up the next generation. Cause look, they can't live forever, you know, both as characters and as actors, obviously. So there does have to be a new crop of characters to take over the enterprise. And perhaps that's what made, uh, the, the star Wars sequel trilogy. So maddening is that it followed this pattern of, well, Kylo Ren says it best, you know, kill the, kill past, the post, or let, let it die, burn it. If you have to, or right. Right. Or, or there's wrong. no regard whatsoever for yeah. the sacred Jedi texts. Right. The, the Jedi's, they were not <laughs> Ooh, subversion. Yeah, no, this is the so anti-Rian Johnson approach. This is the mirror universe. Well, Rian Johnson's from the mirror universe. Uh, this is what Star Wars should have been. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but it, it's more than just a, a writing mistake or a fandom. Uh, no, they did it know, on purpose. Stick in the eye. It, yeah. It, it's, a, it's part of a much larger problem in our culture, which is that uh, it's the worship of youth. So that, that youth is the, the highest good um, older generations have nothing good to offer. What do they know? A bunch of dummies. And, uh, you know, w- we are the first culture in history that, that's taking this seriously. And we're seeing how horrible it is. It's, it's melting down everything right now. And, but of course it's, it's happening because there are revolutionary forces pushing this. Just like you look at the history of any country that's gone through a major revolution. And it's always because the revolutionary leaders are recruiting the youth. So we see this with the red guards that Mao recruited, for example, or the brown shirts that, uh, that Hitler recruited. And uh, that's part of what we're seeing today is, you know, this overthrow of not only tradition, but the, <laughs> the keepers of tradition by the uh, radicalized youth. And so, yeah, that that's spilling over into our movies like the Star Wars sequels. It, it's just a reflection of what's happening in the world. And so what you're saying about Picard and others being respected, and it sounds weird to say like, hey, respect your elders because I'm not that old. No, they've earned it, though. We spent seven fans spent seven seasons and four movies with these characters aboard a starship. Uh, largely with the exception of that whole Beverly ghost incident or a few other nonsense episodes, uh, these fictional characters, these heroes earned our respect uh, and even many Christian fans respect despite living in a, you know, humanistic utopia where God is presumed never to have existed. Uh, and only human progress is our effect. Beverly God. ghost. Are you talking about the, where she's in the bubble? The, the, no, not that Remember one. That was me? a good one. No, nope. the, the less one. the less said about the Beverly Ghostbusters episode, the better. And it could get very lewd <laughs> if we went there. So we won't. Okay. The point I is, that, yeah, and that in yeah. season two, also the victim of another writer strike, by the way. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, despite those, those are the yeah. exceptions to the rule. These characters earned our respect as you know, likable, professional characters who get largely get along with one another, work through their conflicts, uh, sometimes unrealistically. Um, but why should we then treat them as uh, uh, dispirited, uh, deconstructing themselves, uh, and then spend an entire TV series working through their traumas? Like, I just don't see why that's even necessary. Now, Star Wars, Last Jedi, I mean, we could start talking about that, and, and people have different views on that. I think the point is that, yes, in real life, that can happen even to a real hero. But I just don't think it's likely. I think that's what happens when a young, foolish person who has been through trauma, or maybe a young, foolish, traumatized person 
or who thinks they're traumatized or thinks the best stories are only about trauma, then gets to take a crack for some reason at the stories about heroes. Uh, he hasn't studied heroism. He, he hasn't thought about uh, proper analysis of a hero. By contrast, my man Zack Snyder, he will use the word deconstruct when he talks about superheroes. And some people think that he has analyzed them too much uh, or, or adapted them wrongly or something. But he specifically said on an event over the weekend, I, I'm not trying to deconstruct. I'm not going, trying to destroy the superhero. I'm trying to understand them. In other words, that you cannot analyze uh, this creation, this idea, this archetype without loving it. Now, imagine some people deconstruct and say, well, I love it too. You know, I just think it's stupid. Ha ha. And I like stupid stuff. Ha ha. Go me. No, this is actual respect and honor. Uh, and the Picard characters, yeah, they're flawed. They make mistakes. Uh, they've had certain ideas about family that were not very healthy. And in the case of Jean-Luc Picard himself, uh, but Riker and Troy uh, love their children. Um, Fans have fallen in love with uh, both of Jordy LaForge's children, uh, one of whom, by the way, is played by his real-life daughter, and they're, they're siblings in the, in the show. Uh, both of them are in Starfleet. There's a few other children running around. Uh, Jack Crusher, not Beverly's um, late husband uh, as of the Next Generation uh, season start, uh, but uh, a, a new character, her other son, so not Wesley. She, she has had another son sometime. Mm. Uh, yeah. And he's great. And he could have gone so wrong. He could have been the, oh, oh, hum, yet another lovable rogue. Um, but he actually is a lovable rogue. And I realized what happened. First off, he, despite having flaws and, you know, being all headstrong and rebellious and stuff, you discover very quickly there are some things that he does love, uh, in particular, certain types of Federation starships. And so that's basically an introduction to the fan, like, oh, there's a fanboy side to himself that he has suppressed uh, for good reasons, uh, given uh, the life that he's had to lead. Uh, that, I think, speaks to a phenomenon that uh, good storytellers learn about uh, is introduction. You cannot learn to love a new character or a young character unless you have been positively introduced to that person through an older character, someone you know, you get a referral, mm -hmm. uh, who is behaving like him or herself. So LaForge introduces us, the fans, to his daughters, you know, fictionally speaking, uh, and we already have a positive impression because we like LaForge. He's not been deconstructed. He's behaving like himself or an older version of himself. That's just good writing. Uh, and I really think that there are some things that other yeah. franchises can learn from this. I and mean, we need to go into that before we wrap up here. Well, one last question. Does Q make an appearance? I cannot answer that question. I will oh, say that Q died. Q died at the end of season two, apparently, which oh, is one reason right. why in the earlier seasons, I, I did not yeah. want to watch that stuff. Cause okay. like, okay, like there's been a betting pool with a bunch of these writers and you know, bless them. They apparently need better dental plans and recognition, but they are <laughs> some of them sitting around, you know, throwing around their poker chips or however it's done. And like, ha ha. Uh, I bet I can kill uh, Q in the next episode. And then and the other guy goes, oh, yeah, well, I get to kill Luke Skywalker. <laughs> How about them apples? Uh, and, and, okay, maybe they're doing it for some highfalutin artsy reason, but it just from this side of the screen uh, looks like cheap anti-fan service. Somebody's yeah. working through some issues there. Um, and you could argue that's happened before in other stories. Like a lot of Star Trek fans don't particularly like how Kirk died. I think Kirk dying was mainly a, an issue of the budget for that show. At least they had him trying to fight a villain 
Well, and in fairness to the writers, how much of this really is their creative decision and how much of it is coming from the Is a mandate from, yes, exactly. Yeah. Hey, we just managed to get back. Uh, we had uh, a focus uh, group. Uh, Harrison Ford. Well, like Harrison Ford, remember, he wanted to die before. Like every, yeah. I think everybody knew uh, Han Solo, spoiler, Han Solo was going to die in The Force Awakens because they'd already spoiled it, that he wanted to die in, um, in, in The Return of the Jedi. Uh, he apparently was sick of Han Solo. I'd rather play Indiana Jones and some other characters. Well, that, that's not the reason why. He, he thought it would be the right character arc for oh i see for for a roguish scoundrel okay yep. to go also, from a selfish jerk to a yeah. sacrificial hero well I, I didn't mind his death so much in the force awakens but i had not had the time spent with the character that true fans had i, I recognize my limitations there like i i may think this is fine and emotionally satisfying but isn't it like at exactly the same time stamp uh in, they in were the force awakens Obi-Wan. as it yeah, was for Obi- exactly Obi-Wan. yeah and, but the uh, yeah, problem is, the it made no di- and it made no difference to the story. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, he just he just so that was off the, the bridge. Oh well, it, you know, it's Star Wars. You know, someone's <laughs> got to die dead. and drop off a bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it just seemed to be uh, kind of anti fan service. But yeah, yeah, I, I will say they don't do that. They don't do that in uh, in Picard. Uh, but you know, there there are some people who die. Uh, so the stakes are real, but they die meaningfully. The well, that, deaths that's are the meaningful. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We're not saying you know, hey, make them live forever. That's absurd. You know, it's almost transhumanist and we've already complained about that, but death in the grand scheme of things must be, and is well, meaningful, certain for, certainly for a hero. And so we want good stories to reflect that. Well, yes, that was a bit of a meaningless death, I would say, because she needed uh, to get written off the show. Well, yes, there is that aspect of it, but I, I felt like they did the best they could with it and they brought her back and then as first by bringing her sister true. back. Yes, that's true. That's true. And they, they brought right. her back in some interesting ways. Yes. So yeah, that's right. Well, certainly the yesterday's enterprise, a, a highlight of season two. Yeah. All right. right. We're getting a little too nerdy here. Um, <laughs> well, at least about the, the Star Trek in particular. So yeah, definitely go watch it, uh, folks. I mean, uh, you can, the whole season's out. If you're a Star Trek fan, um, not only that, but Terry Metalis has been very publicly lobbying to create a new series called Star Trek Legacy. Right there in the title, it promises more of the same. Yeah, there's probably going to be a little more agenda stuff just because of two characters in particular. By the way, they kept that almost like 99.5% out of season three. It was shocking how little of an agenda was there. Like somebody makes a joke about two women being former lovers or something, and it just gets awkward and then they move on. Uh, that's the extent of it. It was shocking how traditional the family values portrayal is. In other words, uh, you know, right back to the way things would have been shown on TV uh, <laughs> pre 2014. Uh, but with the effects uh, and the budget uh, and the prestige level, I mean, those last two episodes felt like a movie. It's basically the fifth next generation movie. Only you get to enjoy a 10 hour movie, you guys. So definitely sign up for it, uh, get a free trial, but I say pay for it and get the Blu-ray when it comes out. I definitely get the Blu-ray when it comes out. Anyway, really positive there about popular culture, Star Trek Picard season three, but negative about other popular culture. You can get a certain book by our third sponsor, which again, be me, the co-author of the pop culture parent, the nonfiction book about how parents and any other Christian worldview guardians can teach their kids younger kids, older kids, and teenagers to work through these popular culture discernment issues at an age-appropriate level. We've got five questions. My co-authors, Ted Turneau and Jared Moore and I, uh, and also exploring what is popular culture even for? Why has God given us the ability as humans to make these stories and songs? 
We don't just need to assume that they serve a good purpose to distract us or teach us morality. No, these stories exist for the glory of God, but also reflect the common grace of God and the idolatries of humans. So it's a mess. It takes discernment to sort betwixt the two. So we wrote a whole readable, short, practical resource to help you do that. The Pop Culture Parent from New Growth Press. You can go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors or see the show notes atop episode 161 about the pop culture parent. All right, chapter three. I want other franchises to learn from the Star Trek example. Uh, it is just boldly gone into a new slash old way of respecting the past, but forging a new future. And why shouldn't the other franchises do the same? Starting with Star Trek itself. Definitely take the writer strike, ditch some of these other ideas for shows. Like I, I know everybody's excited that we're going to do a movie with, um, Bother what's her name? We just won an Oscar for uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, she was the evil captain from the mirror universe in Star Trek Discovery, which I just quit watching. Um, I'm, I'm not so clever to keep watching that, folks. I'm sorry. It really is just too woke and everybody's crying too much. All, all of the grumpy YouTubers are largely correct about that one. I like Saru. I like some of the other characters. Um, I like Captain Lorca. Uh, <laughs> Drake, uh, uh, Lucius Malfoy. I, I thought he was cool. Um, and I like some of the other uh, characters, but I just can't watch Discovery. So Discovery's ending uh, with the next season. And then they said, OK, well, we'll make a Section 31 movie uh, with uh, Giorgio is their name. Um, and I'm like, OK, great. Knock yourself out. I won't be there. Um, I'm just kind of Metalis verse or bust right now. Set a course for the Metalis system. Maximum warp. Engage. Proceed. Uh, whatever the catchphrase is going to be. Uh, hit it. Let's go. Um, let's stay around the 25th century a while for Star Trek and see if the lightning from the plasma storm in the nebula can strike twice. Uh, maybe it can't. You know, maybe the whole generational idea uh, is a one hit wonder for Picard season three, in which case, great, I will be happy. But there are other story possibilities here. In the meantime, Strange New Worlds is also okay. Um, I, I like it as, you know, more intentionally episodic um, tribute to the original uh, series, but with a, with a higher budget. Uh, they do put some sexy stuff in there. Uh, and after avoiding the uh, agenda stuff, uh, sex agenda, sexual agenda, identity agenda stuff for a while, I think they were making motions about circling back to it by around episode eight, which is just, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, just, if you keep doing too much of that, then I won't watch it. But they need to learn from season three and announce Star Trek Legacy. Um, Zach, though, I don't think that Disney Marvel or even Doctor Who, certainly not Rings of Power, are going to learn from this example. Now, Russell T. Davies, who's getting the, uh, the TARDIS console back for Doctor Who, he loved Picard's season three. But does he understand why? No, nah, I, I think he's going to gay up the Doctor. He's going to gay up the companions. The leash is off. Uh, he's going to go nuts. He was already putting that junk into the original Doctor Who, but I, I don't think he's going to do it. But I'm trying to be optimistic here. Can anyone else learn from Star Trek uh, Picard? What would that even look like? Um, the guys remaking Harry Potter could learn from that. You know, honor the themes that Rowling put in the book, the traditional Judeo-Christian values, even in a wizarding world of courage and decency and diversity understood rightly. Uh, not just diversity of appearance, uh, but diversity of thought, but also a common commitment to a common good and a common sense of what is good and evil. Um, understand those themes. Get some writers who understand them and can articulate them and can write essays about them. 
heck, I could do that, but I'm not a screenwriter. Uh, I don't even know. I'm sure that Rowling knows herself um, what she had hold of with some of those uh, themes. I think she was playing with a lot of ideas that were bigger than herself. Um, but I do trust her if she's going to be involved in the executive uh, st- decisions there. I trust that they won't. I would hope that they won't woke it up too much. I just hope that uh, it's just not such a premature reboot. I think that's where we as the consumers of these stories, I, I think there's two different ways that we can help this go forward. But I'll I'll get into that in a minute if you want me to save that to the end here. But I, I think we have a lot of power to make this happen, depending on which perspective you take. Yes, I think so. And if for no other reason uh, than Rowling's haters right now are, are just so hateful uh, that I don't think they'll support this if she has anything to do with it. They're literally behaving like Death Eaters now, uh, and they're trying to get rid of the creator of this world. Uh, it is just one of the most ultimate deconstructions you can imagine. Uh, by the way, Zach, at some point we'll have to do an episode just about the new podcast, Now Complete, uh, called uh, The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling fascinating exploration of the way that she thinks everything is there christian worldview legalism uh, boycotts culture wars sexualityism sexual imperialism where these fandom tropes came from it's all there and it's worth exploring in a in a future episode i gotta talk about dc uh because there's been no announcement of yeah, Henry Cavill's going to be back as superman uh we know what we're doing with wonder woman now there's been a, no announcement there um, but I view the restoration idea as crucial uh, to DC. I'm generally just tired of everybody just abandoning a story and announcing a remake or a reboot. I'm so tired of that approach. Uh, I know it's kind of corny to get tired of that approach, but I'm legit tired of it. And I will put money behind uh, that decision. Like I'm, I'm also tired of stuff that just keeps on going and going and going without an end goal in mind, like uh, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. Uh, but I'm not asking to reboot that either. Uh, I just, you dropped it right in the middle of the story, guys, and then pretended that you'd wrapped it up uh, for uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, and I think part of that is just fans that going, getting sick of it. Like, no, no, we refuse you to get away. We refuse to let you get away with that. And so they get cranky like me and start using hashtags. I think that restoration means make a few more movies to finish off that story and then do whatever. Then do whatever. But there's so much more depth in those stories. And right now, any reboot talk is not promising anything like that. They're not talking about themes other than we're just going to make stories about love, which is just so shallow and gross. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, I cannot help but think that it will lead more in the direction of deconstruction all over again. So if you get uh, Star Trek restored then also I think we should restore the Snyderverse. I got greedy. I was hoping they might announce something last week. They didn't. But what Snyder and a lot of his uh, co-creators did say is that they would love to do more stories. There was a lot of garbage being spread by the trendsetters uh, and the the idea seeders on social media, seed, S-E-E-D, putting it out there. Well, Snyder's moved on. He don't really care. He's happy at Netflix. Let him retire at the streaming retirement home. Uh, and then they do this big event with the blessing of certain Warner Brothers studio ex- executives uh, to say in part, hey, we're not going anywhere. We'll come back when we're asked. Uh, we're just waiting out here with all the ideas, all the work that we did. We passionately believe in these heroes and this material, uh, and we still want to complete this story. So death of that narrative. So it's at least a step toward restoration. Whatever a fantasy franchise does, though, 
in order to start to restore fan goodwill in their own universe. They need to emphasize things like the little things that have meaning. Uh, you can't just throw in a, a glimpse of, oh, I saw the thing on the screen. I remember thing. I get a nostalgia burst. I get a little glimpse of endorphins. Thing, nice. Yay, clap the thing. Um, there was a pitch meeting about the, the Mandalorian where they were making fun of that. Uh, of course, you know, Ryan George makes fun of that <laughs> stuff all the time. Uh, by the way, yeah, you have to watch the pitch meeting for Mandalorian season three. I don't want to spoil it here, but the hat, the hat and the side quest are both hilarious. If you bring back classic themes, Easter eggs, uh, there's a moment in Picard season three where you see a lot of old ships in a museum. These need to be not just for the fans. These need to be for the characters as part of their journeys. If so-and-so on the bridge of the USS Titan sees a ship from her past, what does that mean to her? Why are we hearing the theme for that ship? How does she react? How does this help comfort her or strengthen her, uh, given the journey that they're on now? How is this going to motivate her going forward? Again, learning from the past to forge a new future. The nostalgia in Star Trek Picard is not just uh, Easter eggs where you just peel off the wrapper and then you know, throw them in and you know get that chocolate effect. Uh, the nostalgia is earned through struggle. And that, I think, is the biggest thing that separates uh, this from straight-up nostalgia appeals. Uh, you've got to fight for nostalgia. You've got to fight for the triumphant fanfare. you got to sit through a lot of bad guy music before that theme roars back out of warp speed uh, and suddenly you get that rush of endorphins and makes you even happier than you would have been if they'd started out doing that in the first 10 minutes. So it's like real life. Uh, it's almost a gospel uh, reflection there. You cannot get to the glory of resurrection without suffering. Uh, and our characters have to fight for that happy ending here. Uh, it's marvelous. Uh, and so audiences too, along with their heroes, feel like they've earned this. This is earned in nostalgia. I started saying it when people were started critiquing it. And then Terry Metalis was using that same word. Yes, I respect the history. I love this franchise. This is all one world. Why should we pretend that it's not? Uh, we're going to glimpse uh, these other uh, shows, these other characters and settings, uh, even if it's from a distance. But how do we then earn that nostalgia? He kept saying the word earn. So any other franchise that wants to do the same, make us fight for it, guys. Make us earn that stuff, uh, whether it's Star Wars or Harry Potter or even if Doctor Who or Disney can come back. Uh, don't just throw it up there. You got to understand the meaning of it. And meaning is earned through struggle. So I said a minute ago that I, I think there are a lot of things that we can do uh, to bring about the kinds of stories that we want. And I think it boils down to three options. Uh, number one is the option I, I call boycott when bad, uh, buy when good. <laughs> so well, that's the, pretty simple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned earlier the Bud Light boycott, and I've been listening to a lot of discussion on this on the uh, Tim Pool podcast. And his perspective is, look, uh, boycott them until they do a complete 180, until they repudiate their marketing decisions, fire the people, go in a totally different direction. And then as soon as they do, then start buying uh, their product again so that they know that they, they made the right decision. Okay, so Zach having endorsed cuss words at the top of the show is not now endorsing the purchase of cases of <laughs> cheap beer at the bottom no, of the show <laughs> I, I do not drink beer at no, all and I, I certainly I don't, don't drink bud light no no um, no but but this is an interesting principle okay because what does a ceo of a company look at he looks at the sales numbers right 
So he looks at, okay, what happened when sales go down? What happened when number go up? You know, like if you just have this very simplistic view of a company's health and you can pinpoint major decisions that were made. And if those correlate with sales drops or sales spikes, then that, that trains the CEO kind of in a Pavlovian way to make good decisions. Okay. So that's well, it one should, of, it should, if there are not religious principles uh, and political yes. activists in the company telling you what the high priest says you should do. Right. Regardless so of the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So there are some assumptions built into that. I just right? said irregardless. I meant regardless. <laughs> Don't at me. Right. So there, there are some sort of evolutionary materialistic uh, assumptions built into that. You know, so, so what that would look like for fandoms would be, let's go out and like you mentioned the Blu-ray for Picard season three, let's all go out and buy it. Like that's one way to do it. Okay. But let's talk about the other two options here because I think they're important to consider. Option number two is just burn it all down. (laughs) Just, just so deconstructionism again, mutually assured deconstructionism. Right. Right. Is that godly though? And, and uh, unending boycott is basically, uh, I'm, I'm just saying what I've been reading. Th- this right. Is, well, I've seen that too, about some people are like, no, yeah. I don't care what you say about Picard season three is too far gone. Right. There's been no good Star Trek since Voyager or DS9 or TNG right. or the original and, series. It's a gluttony of delicacy as we've described before. Yeah. And it's not even hate watching as it is just unending criticism. And this is sort of the, well, I mean, the critical drinker was kind of in this way. And then I think he was like, you know what? I'll watch season three now. Critical Drinker loved season three yeah. and him and several other YouTubers who primarily been known for their hate watching turned around very quickly. That was actually yeah. part of the reason why I tried season three. And not only that, but it helps me respect even those guys because they're, you know, they're monetizing their hate. But yeah, <laughs> they're not all just haters. Yeah. So he's probably more in the first category. I, I, I would say the second category is, well... Aaron McIntyre is who comes to mind. J- just let it all burn down. Just abandon, abandon ship, let it crash and burn. And then maybe one day from the ashes, we'll build something new. Yeah. I, I think this is sort of conservative de- deconstructionism. And mm. I, I don't know that I really agree with that, but there is something to be said here, which is that I caught a number of things you said, Stephen, about uh, Picard and more so Star Trek legacy, strange new worlds is that, Oh, there's only just a little bit of this idol or that idol or this issue or that issue. And it's like, well, okay. So how much of that are we willing to tolerate right. in order to celebrate the, and, and that, I'm not saying there's an easy answer to that. Right. But, but we do have to kind of catch ourselves when we say that, right. It's like, well, what, what, did, what do we want? Do we want something that's 80% okay? 90% okay? 95 I, or I don't know. Yeah, that's another future. Actually, that that's a good episode yeah. topic for the future too. We're just doing all kinds of spin-offs here just like Star Trek. And then the uh the third option to. is just creating a, an entirely parallel media landscape. Like a lot of people talk about the parallel economy, whether that's, you know, the actual payment systems that are entirely divorced from the US dollar like Bitcoin or whatever, or whether it's just payment networks that are unhinged or unhitched from, you know, Visa and MasterCard. Or it's just going back to cash, or it's it, what I'm thinking of is uh, alternative media, indie media, you know, things like we we've had guys from the Daily Wire on about the shows they're making. Well, we just recently had Nova McBee that's having calculated made into a a, fr- a franchise, like a not just a film but a series of films through a indie studio called uh, One Door Studios. 
We've had Rebecca Reynolds on to talk about the Kickstarter campaign for Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. So again, just completely separate from all of these things. Let's just create something totally new and have more positive, you know, building rather than just tearing things down or or compromising. So, you know, I, I would say these are these are three ways that we can we can respond. Uh, you know, on this show, we we mostly highlight the stories we love and we celebrate their advancement. And I think that's what we're going to keep doing. Whether we should buy when good, support when do good thing, I think that's kind of a matter of individual conscience. Because I, again, I'm so jaded about Star Wars that like it would take a lot for me to resubscribe to Disney and watch anything new or or go to a theme park. Or I'm just buying all the old books now because I'm like, I'm going to go back to when... Star Wars wasn't so uh, insane. Yeah, I think I'm in stage two about Star Wars right now, but burn it all down, destroy, crush, kill. That isn't my perspective. I'm just aggressively indifferent. Uh, And yet I don't want to be rude about it. Uh, Somebody asked me the other day, hey, I just saw uh, the the Ant-Man movie. And I'm like, oh, the the first one? Yeah, it was okay. And no, no, the newest one. And I had to restrain myself from being a jerk. Because I've seen clips from that. It's just technically badly made. Uh, it, it, I think it technically lost money as well uh, once you add together the production cost and reshoots and all that stuff. Plus, it just didn't look good. And it fell into the same trope of girl action hero just needs to learn how awesome she is. Uh, and male action hero needs to learn uh, how to be humble again. I don't mind a few stories like that. I mean, technically Mary Poppins is a, <laughs> the original is a story like that. Uh, but if it's always the same story, which by the way, apparently the Peter Pan remake did, then I'm just aggressively bored. Uh, and so we kind of, or at least I've kind of internalized this philosophy uh, inspired by the Lorehaven review policy. We don't review bad Christian made books at Lorehaven if we can help it. We only review the stuff that is mixed, positive or better. Uh, at least generally appealing to the volunteer reviewer. Uh, the other stuff, uh, maybe we just didn't have time to review it or we just let it fade away. So we're going to talk about good stuff at Lorehaven. Uh, occasionally, if it's a general uh, popular culture thing, a, a fantasy or sci-fi franchise thing. Uh, but mostly, yeah, we're going to do option three there, uh, which is emphasize the stuff, the good stuff that's coming out from Christian authors with whom we are simpatico because we follow a same savior. We want to glorify the same creator, regardless of all our other differences, uh, different genres, different age levels. It, it's all, it's all going to be there, but we'll also have that on-screen section for the occasional gem uh, that you just might see floating and shining out there in the galaxy. We review those best Christian-made stories we find at loreheaven.com every Friday, which leads me to our mission update. Last Friday, we reviewed Radiant, the sponsor at the top of this show by Ashley Bustamante. And then this coming Friday, uh, we review a middle-grade boys' adventure novel called The Lost Property Office by James R. Hannibal. That's coming up after today's release date of this episode. We've also got a new article from Josiah DeGraff called How to Discern Beautiful Christian Fiction Without Becoming Snobs. This was a fun one. Uh, a great emphasis on uh, applying any of those lessons from the classic educators who recognize excellence in literature. Uh, and then how do you actually use this practically in your everyday life uh, as a fan of things? Josiah's got some great thoughts there. It's part of his Discerning Christian Fiction series. I think this is actually the series finale 
Subscribe free to get updates at lorehaven.com and be sure to look for your exclusive invitation to join the Lorehaven Guild. We do monthly book quests of the best Christian-made fantastical novels we can find. Right now, we're exploring a book called Jack Zulu and the Waylander's Key. And in a few weeks, we'll be announcing our summer book quest coming up in June. By the way, we are revamping the site, lorehaven.com, behind the scenes to focus on reader needs. So eventually you will actually see uh, the type of reader that you or a loved one might be at the top of the page. You'll see middle grade, teens and YA and adults. Uh, You'll see on screen uh, specific gathered resources for authors, things like that. Going to announce later a day for those rollouts, but you've already started to see some changes at the site if you know where to look. Well, over in the comm station, we got a note from Autumn, who shares a pretty positive view of cultural Christianity from her experience and says, quote, as far as cultural Christianity goes, I did have a lot of that growing up. And for the most part, it was beneficial. Christianity was explained pretty well for me at a young age, and it resonated with me when it came to ideas like the deep imperfection of humanity, the problems with vengeance, the need for forgiveness and mercy, etc. There were some downsides as well. Though, such as the fact that even though the Bible was interesting to me, growing up with it made regular Bible reading feel like a chore that I had a hard time doing even though I knew it was important, good, and meaningful. Still, the positives outweigh the negatives. But one of the reasons growing up with cultural Christianity worked in my case was because Christianity did mean a lot to me. I was always analyzing everything I heard, so instead of just taking the cliches at surface level, I would try to figure out why certain aspects of Christianity existed. There were times I struggled with going through the motions, but I'm at least aware of that, and it's something I've been working on over the years. That's a great comment, and Autumn had more to say. We'll have that link in our show notes. That was in response to our last episode, 160, where we were talking about cultural Christianity, what it is, and how it both helps and hurts stories. Zach, I happened to see a tweet. Uh, It was not a response to this podcast, uh, but it was from a chap called Ron Hensel on Twitter, uh, who was referring to uh, particularly debates over a thing called Christian nationalism. And he addresses that and he says, we need to maintain a distinction between cultural Christianity and the cultural influence of Christianity. The former has historically been seen as bad, while the latter has been seen as good, and I think rightly so in both cases. So a different take on that. I think he's more thinking about the negative aspects of Christianity's influence on culture. Uh, The idea that people are saved just because their parents identify as Christian or because they go to church every Christmas or Easter, or the idea that the law can save you. Like some of these, uh, these derived notions, you know, fake Bible verses like cleanliness is next to godliness. Like you can say that that may be cultural quote, Christianity end quote, uh, but it's also kind of a cultural influence of Christianity. I would just say that it is a, it's, it's a false teaching. Uh, it's cultural pseudo-Christianity. So there's different ways of dividing that. And uh, I think that would be an interesting thing to follow up. Okay, so we got an absolute banger of a meme from Pete on our Discord channel for Lorehaven, the Lorehaven Guild. And <laughs> he took the quote I had from my college pastor from his very conservative uh, school growing up. If there's hair on your ears, there's sin in your heart. So Pete took that quote, and on the top part of the meme, it's a hand holding a ruler, like measuring one's hair. And on the bottom frame of the meme, it's uh, Fabio from romance novels seen around the world. And the caption is, my heart. <laughs> that is one hairy heck of a heart. Yes, yep. absolutely. Uh, that, was, that was amazing. 
Um, the other feedback we got was on the Realm Sphere, the community for uh, Realm Makers. And uh, Brian Mitchell had a hilarious picture where in the background, there's the, the our podcast on, looks like Spotify, and he's holding up a LaCroix can. And he said, I'm catching up on episode 160 about cultural Christianity and happened to have recently enjoyed a particularly relevant beverage. And if you don't catch the connection to that, go back and listen to that episode. It was a lot of fun. So, um, and if you've got another great meme picture, funny quote, or just a good story like Autumn's, uh, send us your note to podcast at lorehaven.com or comment anywhere. Lorehaven is on social media or anywhere else that we can be found. LaCroix. I think the joke would be either made up by me or accidentally repeated uh, that it is a fruit generated by an artificial intelligence. <laughs> Next on Fantastical Truth. Well, this podcast is called Fantastical Truth, yet even if you do seek the truth, that can lead you into shadowy places. How can we discern conspiracy theories without rejecting the truth that humans do often plot secretly? Or else, how can we avoid falling into the trap of pursuing the secret knowledge about everything? Mike Duran, the author of the new nonfiction book, Christians and Conspiracy Theories, will sneak into the studio. Meanwhile, if you are a Star Wars fan and don't get Star Trek, brother, sister, live long and prosper. But thank you for listening this long. If you're excited about some other story that you hear is being restored, then thank God for that. It doesn't have to be just Star Trek. Just translate my enthusiasm to that story. And thank God that even in a gross, sinful, corrupt world, people can still pursue restoration, respect for characters, respect for creative boundaries, respect for even the lore of a fictional world. Let's respect all those things while we pursue the true life lore of this world as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.